Hello, everybody. This is Troy Bousseau. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. The purpose of this show is to give a platform for celebrating the exceptional stories behind some of the millions of people crossing finish lines around the world each year. If you like what you hear, please show your support for the guests by sharing the episodes with anyone in your world who could use a little inspiration to live a happier, healthier life. And if you're listening on iTunes, please click subscribe and give us a rating and a quick review. It is the absolute best way to help the show grow. You can also follow us at Athlinks or at Troy Bousseau on Instagram for some behind the show extras, as well as reaching out for any guest suggestions or comments or questions that you might have. I absolutely love hearing your feedback, so don't be shy and definitely keep it coming. And now on to the show. After an arm injury cut his collegiate pitching career short, you could say that today's guest took some time off of athletics. So much so, in fact, that he gained the weight equivalent of another version of himself, 180 pounds to be exact. After some failed attempts to reverse course and resign to his fate, he told his folks that maybe they should stop pushing him to lose the weight and end his sedentary lifestyle. He just didn't see a solution within himself. Then he found what many would consider to be an unlikely catalyst that would get him off the couch and onto the first of what would be many runs in his journey to losing 180 pounds and running his first 40-mile ultra in Pennsylvania. What was the secret? Well, you're going to have to listen to the show to find out. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from sunny Colorado. It is March 18th, 2021, and this is episode 40. How you doing, Dan? Good. Catchy intro music. It's I like very it. catchy. <laughs> I feel like you're in a, in a club in New York. That's great. I feel like I'm in a, the elevator leading to a club. <laughs> That's <laughs> so we got Dan Lamorte on the podcast today. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Dan is a man. You, you, you've got kind of a, an interesting little background that we're going to get into. But you're a stand-up comic. You've recently lost the equivalent of another Dan Lamorte in weight. <laughs> uh, you have your first ultra coming up this weekend. I think it's your first ultra, is it not? Yeah, first one. Yeah, yeah I was supposed to do a few along the way in the past, but the pandemic had a way of canceling them. All right. Well, it just gave you an opportunity to get smaller and smaller each day. Exactly. That's it. Um, and then we're going to kind of follow up. So the, the idea for this podcast, we're actually going to cut about halfway through, and then we're going to talk to Dan post-race. So it should be an interesting, interesting yep, juxtaposition. Days nine days away. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. So Dan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, why don't Thanks, you give man. us a little, just a little bit of background on kind of where you've come from. And again, as I alluded to your weight loss journey, your running journey, and uh, just a little bit about who you are. Sure. So basically, uh, the it's uh, it's not your average comedy story, but I was a pretty decent baseball player in high school. A uh, couple scholarships coming out of high school, went to a little Division two school called Felician University in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, I got arrested my senior year for selling weed, so I wanted to stay close to home. To you know, I was get got myself into some trouble. Some schools didn't want me anymore, so I went to this little school, Felician. Uh, I'll never forget, we, me and my team were at an Applebee's the week before the season started, and one of the juniors on the team told me, he said, the first one out of the bullpen is the first one under the knife. And I was the first one out of the bullpen opening day, freshman year, and I blew up my elbow in my second inning of work. Got Tommy John surgery from the Yankees doctor. He botched it, probably because I was a Mets fan. Oh. Uh, and uh, I never really came back. So short the year when I started 
doing the rehab for the Tommy John surgery, I kind of needed something else, and I started doing stand-up. No kidding. So, uh, yeah. I was just saying, no kidding. That That's crazy. That, yeah. That, that was your solace. Well, you probably went into the Tommy John's thinking, like, because isn't the story with Tommy John's, like, you add, like, five miles an hour to your fastball and stuff, oftentimes? Yeah, a lot of people come back throwing harder. I used to have an old joke I got so fat. You know, a lot of people come back throwing harder. I came back with diabetes. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I started gaining the weight so much quicker uh, uh, right after the surgery. Because when you're on the road doing stand-up at a young age, you're not making a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, you, you eat fast food. I mean, there's not many other, when you're in the middle of Ohio, or all these places, uh, it's just, you, you rely on the fast food. So within three years, I kind of ballooned up to about 354 pounds. Whoa. When I started comedy, I was around 190 and, uh, I was in LA and I started hiking. One of my buddies convinced me to go on a hike with him. And I kind of really enjoyed the trail and being out there. And when I went back home to New Jersey, I started running and I hated it. Mm. I hated it. And then my story as you know, some places like me to talk about some don't, I smoked a joint and went for a run. And I was like, this feels a lot better. The pain isn't there. I felt like I could go longer. So I started doing that more. And next thing you know, I got into long distance running. And here wow. we are. I weigh 175 pounds now. It's nine days away from my first ultra. So what went from that first hike or maybe from the weed hike, I guess, to now? How, what's the, how long ago was that? So the weight loss, I'm 26 now. Uh, when I was 23, that Thanksgiving, I was in a hospital bed with fatty liver disease, like in a lot of pains. And that's when it started. Wow. Like a doctor was like, you need to lose this amount of body fat to really reverse the damage you've done. So, uh, so 23, so it's been about three years now. No kidding. So how did you, I mean, you know, there, there's, uh, we all gain a little bit of weight as we get older, but obviously you gained a tremendous amount of weight very, very quickly. The surgery lent itself, but there were other things that must've been going on. How much did comedy, you know, you said you weren't making a lot of money. You were therefore eating fast food and things, but did the fat start to become part of your show Were were you in a way kind of embracing it? For sure. I mean, okay. there's no way around it. It becomes a thing where you tell yourself, if you lose the weight, you'll be less funny. Even mm. though when I started comedy, I wasn't that heavy. So you justify it. I remember actually writing out my act at a point and seeing that there's only about two fat jokes in it. So I was like, well, that's not a good sign if you're using this as a crutch. Wow. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's other things. Like when you're a college athlete, you got coaches that hound you usually <clears throat> for two-a-day workouts that are on top of you to lose the weight. Yeah. When you lose those people who are forcing you to work out and you're like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore. Uh, and comedy is kind of all-consuming. So if you decide that you're going to be a comic who doesn't work out, it's easy to convince yourself that there's just not the time in the day. Yeah. A common occurrence or theme on the podcast has been non non high school and collegiate runners, but other athletes. So they came from different, you know, whether it was high jump or baseball in your case or football, they oftentimes looked at running as this punishment. It was the thing that you had to do to get in shape or you had to do, you know, it was never like a love to do. Is that how you looked at running back in the day? Partially, yeah. I remember in, in college, uh, in the freshman dorms, actually, it was such a small school, there was only one dorm room. We threw the freshman baseball players a massive party. Like, I, I think 60 kids ended up getting written up between the two dorm rooms. They were tiny dorm rooms. Uh, it got out of hand, the coaches found out, and the next day they punished us with like, a, I think it was a six mile run up and down these hills. Or maybe it was less than that, I might be exaggerating, but it was at that point probably the longest I'd ever run. And I remember not being like so fast in the beginning, but being able to pace with the lead mm. pack of like the, the players 
the whole time. And when we would run polls, which is they make you, uh, you know, that's the foul pole to foul pole. Pitchers okay. do that a lot. I was a pitcher. Pitchers often do run. So it was used as punishment, but when it would happen, I didn't hate it. Yeah. I just, I guess I didn't realize at the time that I actually liked running until, you know, now it's one of my favorite things to do. Now I could run stoned or not stoned. I could run headphones, no headphones. And it's yeah. become something that I think I've really been able to tap into why I liked it back then and didn't realize why I liked it. Yeah. That's crazy. You, you've mentioned it a few times now. One of the, you, your Twitter account was sent to me and said, hey, this guy would be good to get on the podcast. And I mean, it was like, um, I, I, you know, to get into the weed side of things, I do not smoke weed. I don't have anything against it. It it doesn't suit me. Like, it doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel yeah. far worse. But it's interesting to see, like, it is kind of this key component to your to your training or at least your journey into running, as you said, you can do it with or without it now, but it's like what, what goes on or let's talk about that first time that you smoked weed and you went for a run and it's sort of, you know, it just, everything sort of fell into place there. It's for me, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it's a reward, but it, it's a way to make the start of the run not feel as shitty as it usually mm. does for me. Those first few miles are the worst. When I get past the third mile, I feel great. And truthfully, if I smoke a joint or smoke a bowl before I run, that that I'm not high by the third mile. So that the weed is just to get me kind of moving. To, just to start. Just to start. That's yeah. kind of and it's uh, I don't know for for trail running, it's it's different. Like street running, the weed kind of you don't realize it so much. It's the trail running. Or kind of the, I think uh, another ultra runner who uh, he uses edibles and runs. I forgot what his name is. He said, you know, the greens are greener and the blues are bluer. Yeah, I've I've heard that a lot. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, ultra runners, trail runners that do whether it's edibles or or marijuana. I know it's a component to that that a lot of people don't talk about, and I'm not condoning it or condemning it. I, you know, I think everybody's got their own thing out there. So as long as it's legal in your area and you're not, you know, hurting anybody, then I guess do do what exactly. you got to do. Yeah, and it's it's become a thing where like it's like I could head out and go a half marathon on the trail without it, and I feel fine because you you still get the runners high. It's like yeah. I joke, best way to get the runners high is to be a runner that's high. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time that you did that, were were you at like three fifty? Is that were you at your heaviest? No, so definitely what. How, the weight started coming off right away because a doctor hinted that I might be allergic to gluten, even though he didn't mm. confirm I was a celiac. Yeah, so I cut gluten out of my life and it was like just bloatedness started going away yep. uh, i guess just cutting out gluten stayed away from the fast food and that was enough to for the weight to kind of just melt off in those early stages and then uh i had started running on my own and short distances like three miles here and there i'd never gone more than four miles it was maybe a couple days a week i was falling in and out of patterns of like doing it not doing it and then I discovered, uh, someone sent me David Goggins mm -hmm. and on first listen, the stubborn, you know, guy in me was like, well, he says anyone could do this kind of stuff, but he was a Navy SEAL. He's, you know, at the end of the day, he still has had a pretty crazy amount of training to get there. Yeah. And I was on the way to a boardwalk and I, I hadn't been that consistent in running. I was supposed to do a four mile run. I'd never gone further than that. And I heard him say that 30% thing. I, I think it's like when you, when you feel like you're tied, you're actually only 30% done or something like that whatever his rule is and i was running on this boardwalk and my water bottle slipped and it fell and it rolled like onto the beach and away into the water and i was like shit I, I should just end the run i don't have water and then i was like well let's see what that goggins dude was talking about 
And I ran a half marathon that day. Mm. Never done more than four miles. Next thing you know, I'm eight miles down the boardwalk and I realize, oh shit, I got to go yeah. eight miles back. So I get to the half marathon distance. It's the winter. My beard's frozen. I have my sweatshirt's frozen. My legs have stopped working at this point. And I see an old woman in her car and I'm like, miss, is there any way you could drive me to the end of the boardwalk? This was pre-COVID, obviously. And I'm yeah. like, my, my body's destroyed. I'm not going to make it. And she just looked at, me, looked at me and got in her car and drove away. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I toppled back down. I, I knew she wasn't going to do it. But yeah. that one of those first moments where I was like, all right, so there's something here. Oh, interesting. It is crazy how that works. Just that, uh, whether it's permission or context, whatever it is, the first time, I was a pretty um, fit guy the first time I read um, Dean Carnass's book. And yeah. it was it was the same thing where it was just like, well, what if I just ran farther? And I didn't, I never took it too far. I had an IT band issue at the time that I still have 10 years later, but it was, you know, I did run like twice or three times as, you know, as long as I had ever run before. And it's just, there is something extremely romantic about like ultra running and, you know, running at night or just running and, you know, not fast necessarily, but just running to a point. You yeah, know? ultra running, uh, after I got into Goggins, that's when I discovered uh, Colorado native Courtney DeWalter, who is oh, yeah. in my, and she, one of my favorite people I think to ever exist. She's currently running the Barkley marathons today, yeah. which I've been following obsessively on Twitter when I haven't been running today. That's, that's why awesome. I look crazy because I just came from a run. <laughs> but, uh, so like I started watching the ultra running documentaries on YouTube, everyone you could imagine all of Dean's stuff. I've been kind enough to Dean has been kind enough to talk to me, uh, become friends with him, Zach Bitter, these ultra guys. And it's a community that's so new. You could kind of get in there and talk to these guys and watch these documentaries. And I remember there's this one about what, uh, an ultra marathon that I would say is my dream race, you know, uh, ultra trail Mont Blanc, the UTMB. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, there's this documentary where it's like, it's not front of the pack guys. It's three runners. Obviously they're great runners. They're qualified for it and they're running it, but they're not front of the pack. They know they're going to be, maybe not do it or, you know, drop out. And it's just seeing every ultra running documentary when these guys cross the finish line, the strongest men and women are just broken down to tears usually because yeah. of what they just went through. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, you know, you lost the weight, but there, there's something else that needs to be found. And it's on the end of that finish line. I mean, to feel that why I, I'm so attracted to that feeling like the, the tears that aren't sadness, they're coming from something that you just been through. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've become friends with so many ultra runners. Uh, Mishka Shubali is one of my, you know, he's become a good buddy of mine. He's, he's got a great book called the long run. Well, actually that's his Amazon Kindle. He's got a, uh, I swear I'll make it up to you, which is a great book too. Uh, mm. He just talks about those feelings, you know, that you get when you cross that finish line, when you push yourself through that thing. Yeah. And that's what's got me going now. Like I'm nine days away from the race. I was petrified last month when I thought it was February 27th and they pushed it back a month. I was so happy. So I was like, I haven't been able to train that much. Mm. Uh, I've had a few different injuries from uh, in September. I fell off the side of a trail, took a pretty decent fall. And that led to a foot injury, which led to a hip injury, which led to a back injury. And you yeah. know how that works. The oh, kinetic yeah. chain is. <laughs> Indeed. And then it got pushed back a month. And now nine days away, it's, I'm nervous for, I'm not nervous. I'm ex so excited for the race. I'm nervous that I agreed to let a documentary crew from Los Angeles fly in and, and film, <laughs> film it. I uh. feel like your first ultra maybe shouldn't be on camera, but. Well, in a lot of ways, it should be on camera, right? It's it's that it is the 
the rawest version of what this is going to look like for you. So I think even if it's that is true, you know, similar to this podcast where you know maybe this just becomes a thing where it follows you, you know, between this race and UTMB, you know, in two years from now or whatever it is. So. Yeah, though, you know. Mishka told me when I talked to him yesterday, he's like, dude, if you want to cry on camera, cry on camera. Don't hold it together for the camera. He's oh, like, yeah. he's like, it's a weird decision to choose them to be there, but it, just roll with it. Roll with the, but the good thing is, what makes me happy, the camera crew actually hired one of my friends who's a comedy photographer and videographer to come out with us to Pennsylvania. So that'll be cool to have like, and my girlfriend will be there. My family's going to, there's no crewing because it's only 40 miles, only 40 miles. I yeah. say it's, you know, it's not a distance <laughs> with the crew, but I'll have them there. That'll be fun. That's awesome. Yeah. You're actually going to be following. Um, so last week, by the time this airs, the previous episode is at Hedderin on Finn who wrote Rise of the Ultra Runners. Um, oh, wow. And so one of the things that I've always loved about him, you mentioned Courtney Dowalter and Zach Miller and these guys, it's, you know, it's, I love watching Courtney and Zach and these people run, but I can't frankly learn anything from a Zach Miller who looks like he's sprinting a hundred mile race. He just oh, has, yeah. he's a different species that I am at, at Haranon. I'm from Courtney has got great tidbits. Yeah. Yeah. But Ed Heronand is, you know, he's a three-hour marathoner, so he's a fast guy. He's no slouch by any stretch, but he's far more human than a lot of these other people. So when you read his stuff, you're like, it's far more, to me, relatable in terms of what he goes through, the pain, the hallucinations, just all of the things that he goes through in a race. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm looking forward now to watching this documentary, Win, Lose, or Draw. Like, you gotta, you gotta make sure it gets out there. Yeah, my- I'm excited to, too to see what they put together. You know, I mean, ultra running, like you said, it's a thing that's kind of taken off right now. And yeah. in the pandemic as comics, we've had so few opportunities to get content out there. So I figured if there's a chance, if people want to make a documentary about what I've done, the weight loss, it's just a, it's, it's a way to reach a little more people. Yeah. Are you, are you like hoping for the best or did you negotiate with your grandparents, your position on the board? Like if you finish <laughs> the 40 miler, do you automatically shoot to number one? Uh, number one is not attainable unless you have a PhD. Oh, so oh, man, what? PhD. Actually, no, number one is a veterinarian. She's always number one. There's a dentist in the family who tends to stay near the top too. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm usually a constant right sider. Okay. I love that. So for those, if again, you got to follow Dan on Twitter, but like every once in a while, you'll post updates. Your grandparents keep like a ranking of their grandchildren in terms of like, what is the criteria? Is it how proud they are or how much they like each person? So basically uh, it was always this running joke in the family that, I mean, my grandmother very openly ranked the grandchildren, like, and not (laughs) Not you know, I grew up with a very warm grandma and a right. very warm grandfather, and I grew up with a very warm grandfather and a colder grandmother on that side. And uh, she would rank us how she felt we were contributing to the family, helping out her, our parents, uh, how we are as people. And it eventually turned into a thing where someone in the family made them a leaderboard that it has the uh, what do you call it? It has the Little Ten grandchildren yeah. on faces that have magnets behind them, <laughs> and the faces move one through ten. And uh, you walk into that house, and you know where you stand right away. I love it—a true meritocracy. It's uh, it's that cold Irish love. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I think it's just awesome. I, I do. I think it's hilarious. But um, 
So I want to yeah, go. It's one of those things where like a lot of people love it, but it's it's for some reason some people get really upset when it's not like I'll get like usually five people every time I post it was like this isn't that good. This is a bad family. I wouldn't want to be a part of this family. And I'm like, listen, this is the family that produced the comic. What did you expect? Hey, and and I got news for whoever is uh, 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 criticizing that every family has a leaderboard. Let's be honest. You know, they're just being more public about it. Exactly. And that leaderboard was handmade from our family. I always felt like we should have trademarked it and sold it. I mean, I'm a bad businessman. That's why I'm probably doing a podcast (laughs) in a car and, you know, because staying at someone else's apartment because easy passes killing me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should mention that Dan is actually sitting in a car in Queens in a rainstorm that sounds like a hailstorm. So, <laughs> it might be at this point. Yeah. I, the weather has been crazy. I performed in a hailstorm on a roof in Brooklyn three days ago. Nice. And your windows are completely fogged over because you just went for a run. So it looks like you're doing other nefarious things inside the car. So Yeah, I look like a Titanic. Oh, you look great, though. Um, so I want to go to on the weight loss side of things because I've talked to a few people who have gone through extreme weight loss. And one of the benefits to the weight gain is this like endurance engine that you end up building by basically, in your case, carting around a 350 pound, like another version of yourself, Yeah, you know, like slung over your shoulders. Do you feel like, because you were an athlete before, you knew how fit and, you know, physical you had been in, in, in your previous life. Like, do you feel like you, you really cranked it up a few notches by carrying that other person around for those years? Absolutely. I think I was pretty lucky because uh, I had a dad who would take me to the gym when I was very young, but he was smart and not letting me lift upper body. And mm. he would put me on the leg press machine at a young age. He'd have me squat. He would... So I trained legs at a very young age. And I, I I was, I remember being like 14, leg pressing a thousand pounds. Like I was a pitcher. Legs were important. Yeah. So I always worked my legs. So then you, you figure I get, I had gigantic calves in high school. I still have gigantic calves. I got fat, carry around all that weight that made the calves bigger. So it's like, even when I have these knee injuries, these foot injuries, they seem to kind of correct themselves over the long run because my my calves are pretty strong. I got a pretty strong base, I think. Mm. And being fat definitely does help. And I think it helps on the mental side of things too. Like, you know, how so many of these runners, Courtney, who we've mentioned a lot, talk about the pain cave. I mean, when I'm at long distances and feel like I can't keep going, I just put myself into some of the situations when I felt pretty uncomfortable being overweight and what that was like on the way down. I mean, I was like, if I lost 180 pounds, I could run a few more miles right now. I mean, there was a time in my life where I really, I I told my parents, I brought them aside and I said, listen, I think you guys should probably stop pushing me. I don't, I don't really think I'm ever going to lose it. I I just, I, there was a part of me that didn't think I had it in me. I mean, Mm. 350 pounds on a scale, you, you look at that and you're like, this is insane. I was considering different surgeries and then something snapped one day. I was like, well, I was a college athlete. I guess I could see if I have it in me to, to give it one good push. Yeah. So at 350 pounds, you had to have been thinking of your own mortality. So were you just sort of thinking, was there some in the back of your mind, like this is just going to solve itself one day soon? Yeah. I mean, it was always the running joke because I, I, I was lucky enough to have a decent amount of success young in comedy. So people would always be like, he's the, he's the hottest hot 30 under 30 who's going to die by 30. That was something I would hear a lot of. It was just regular running jokes where comics would be like, ah, you're going to get the success young and then die. It's yeah. So it was, I, I don't know if it was something that I just played with or rolled into or, uh, uh there was a, definitely a pivotal moment though. Cause in New York city, we have a club called the comedy cellar, which is like the, 
as far as American comedy clubs go, that is kind of the legendary club. It's one of the hardest clubs to get into. Uh, When I was 22, 21, 22, I was in a couple of really bad car accidents and it gave me some cool stories. I had been through some shit. So I, I, I had some bits developed from it. And I worked with a guy who was a regular at the cellar after we worked together, he recommended me. So I, I passed at the cellar when I was, you know, just able to legally drink. I was one of the youngest and fastest to do it. I was two years in. And then by the time I was, you know, a year and a half later, so just turning 23, I'd put on some weight, but the seller stopped using me. And that led to a, a pretty crazy depression where I probably pushed it up to like the 350. And then I had this realization where I was like, well, that was my pinnacle of comedy. I thought that mm. was I thought that was the thing. So if if I comedy is this thing that makes me happy, it, it always did. So I told myself the weight doesn't matter. If comedy doesn't work out, what do I have besides that? I now have a 350 shell to get me through life. I was like, if I, I need to fix that, God forbid comedy doesn't work out. So I, I had that realization. And now you fast forward to, to now, I'm kind of in a better position on stage than I ever was and getting work again and in talks with the comedy seller again. So it's like everything works itself out. Yeah. What, what was the, why did they uh, stop going to you at the comedy seller? I was too new, you know, I, I'm, I'm a seven year vet now. I've been doing this for seven years. When I got into the seller, I was two years into comedy. Got it. You can't, you at at other clubs in the city, lesser clubs, you could hide that. I mean, it's not like I was bombing. I had one bad set that happened to be in front of the booker, but it was that my material was that of a two year comic, and yeah. it's it's less <laughs> noticeable at a at a lower club. But when you're sandwiched between Louis C.K. and Chris Rock, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's it's a lot. It's it's the crowd is like, oh, there's a kid who's young and has a young perspective. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I think really the best writing a comic could do is living life and maybe a harder life or a, a hard period to go through something that that's better writing than I could have done ever as a fat guy. Yeah. So what, um, what does your training look like over the last few months here? You said you hadn't been, you felt untrained going into what was supposed to be a, was it a February race you said, or January? Yeah. So my first ultra I'd signed up for was a 30 mile, uh, ultra marathon that was canceled. So then I decided to put on my own little event where I I got some charities together. I was going to run, uh, 50 miles around a a high school track by my house that I really like. Cause I, I I love going long distance on tracks. since you kind of feel like a human NASCAR. Uh, so then while I was training for that, I was training at a trail in New Jersey called Hartshorn woods. It's like every 10 miles, you get about 2,400 feet of elevation Mm. gain. It's pretty gnarly roots and rocks. Uh, It's it's one of our harder trails. That's where I was training. And I took a spill there. And that led to a pretty bad foot injury uh, that I I had to take off. I was in a boot for two months. Uh, I didn't run for about September, October. I started running again at like mid-December. Uh, I had signed up within the first few, I got a electric shockwave therapy. I don't know okay. if you've ever done that. Yep, I have. That was great. And, but the big thing was I got one of those trigger point guns. Okay. I, I got vital socks, compression socks. I started just doing those two things together and I was able to start putting in some more miles. And then I, uh, completely demolished my back. Mm. I didn't know how I did it. Uh, my, it was cold one day and I couldn't catch my breath the right way on my pacing. And I still pushed a pretty quick pace and I didn't feel anything. When I got home and laid down to stretch, I realized that I guess my breath not catching pulled out my back completely. So I had to take another two, three weeks off. And before the fall, I was putting in 60 mile weeks. Now 
the past three weeks, four weeks, I've been lucky enough to get in like 30, 40 mile weeks. Okay. Got back. To, I, I put the anxiety aside and went back to Hartshorn Woods. I hadn't been there since the day that I fell. And last yeah. week I went there and banged out a half marathon on the trails just to be like, all right, I can come back it. and beat the anxiety. Yeah. So it's like the train. I'm definitely more confident with the training where it is the past month okay. than if I had to have run this February 27th. This Got race it. is 40 miles through in Leeswood, Pennsylvania. It's called the Naked Bavarian. Okay. Okay. Hilly, but not mountainous? Hilly, but yeah, I think that's what it's like very runnable terrain. But I think they say over the 40 miles, you'll still get about like. I've seen some people's GPSs be anywhere from like four to 6,000 elevation, which okay. isn't bad, but 40 miles, that's not too much. Not crazy. Considering yeah. like I'm banging out half marathons that have probably half, uh, half that in a one fourth of the distance. Yeah. Where do you want to take this? Like where, where, what is your goal? Uh, well, first off, let's talk about th just this race. What is your goal? Is it, are you really kind of in a just finish mindset, you know, just finish vertically? Just finish. I definitely want to finishing is the big one. I don't, there's no part of me that thinks I'm going to win it, but then there's that little voice in my brain. That's the former college athlete. That's like, <laughs> push it, push it. But I'm going to be honest. I, I think my fastest mile pre-injury, I got it like down to like a six sixteen, which isn't bad, but post-injury, I haven't been able to put in, like I put in a few sevens, a few eights here, but on the trails, I'm like an 11 minute pace. If, yeah. I feel like if I could keep an 11 minute pace for 40 miles, I'd be really happy with that. Okay, cool. And then um, what is your goal long, long term? Like, do you see the ultra side of things and the, you know, the, the um, uh, documentary and, and the podcast, like, are, is this becoming an increasing part of your career that you want to take it in? Or are you still just diehard comedy and, and the other stuff is really to feed the comedy side and just to get your name out more? There's a part of me that watches these documentaries and it's like, I want to be an ultra runner. I, I feel like, you know, I'm young enough. These people hit their prime in their mid thirties. I could put together some good training to get there. And then there's the other part of me that's like, I don't know things are going well in comedy. The material's great. So I think, which is a problem I have a lot in life, which is finding balance. Yeah. I need to find the balance between the two. But when people ask me, what's your goal with running? I mean, my brain always jumps to the first one I say is I want to at least run in a hundred miler. Okay. And not like a reg, like I, New Jersey has a few, but I want to run, you know, the big three. I want to either run Western States, uh, what do you call it? Leadville or Mont Blanc. Those oh, are the big three. I, I'd love to run one of those. If you notice all my posters behind me, th uh, four of them are Leadville. So yeah, it's, it's in the back, it's in the backyard here. So I've never done the hundred. I've paced at the hundred and I'm doing silver rush, which is part of the same race series. I'm doing a 50 miler in July. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Let me know when you're up here. Uh, I would be honored to pace you in the hundred. So uh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Leadville. I, I once I saw the Billy Yang documentary about it and it yeah. was like, and the Western States, the same thing. I saw the, the Western States one where it was the year where uh, Anton and uh, Jeff and uh, what's his name? Uh, Killian were all in the race. And like, it was just between the three of them and Hal was in it, but Hal got hurt. And like, uh, it's just, it's been the, the, I, I have Asperger's like I am on this autism spectrum. Mm. So when I get into something, I get into something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why like when all it's dangerous for me to get an obsession, like ultra running, because I will take it until the body breaks. I, that's all I know. Well, Same you know, with weight gain, you know, I was, yeah. I was so good at eating. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Leadville, any of these hundreds is so remarkable to watch because much like, you know, you see the Kenyans in the marathon side, 
I was at the 75 mile mark at Leadville watching the leaders run through and you'd have thought they were in the middle of a 10 K like they looked so yeah. fresh and so fast and just mentally all there. And then just, you know, mere hours later when I came through with my guy, it was like a totally different ball game. Just the, the, just people out of their minds and, you know, just barely able to hang on. And it was crazy, yeah. crazy to watch. It's like a world of di- like you, Courtney at the end of her races <clears throat> is still putting in like six minute miles. And I'm just like, this is insane. But like yeah. that, that to me, I realized I would never be able to do. I'm never going to be that fast of a guy. I look at races like Big's backyard and I'm like, that seems like the most, that seems like the furthest I could push. It would be to do something like that to me is amazing. Like the four mile loop. Love the sound of that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I definitely have big running goals and I still have big comedy goals. And I think the two will work together. I mean, I've had, I've run ideas past people. Have any comics ever done tours where they run to each stop? Like, you, oh, you, that'd be cool. Or you do a marathon in each city you go to. So you do a marathon during the day and then you do a show at night. Uh, I have ideas to when I do officially move to New York, I'd, I'd really love to start a running club here. Uh, and kind of grow something called uh, I, I've floated the idea online. We've had some artwork made up for the High Miles Club, so that'll be fun. I mean, there's, there's, I wanna definitely. I've inspired. I didn't really set out to inspire anyone. I set out to get healthier. But I, yeah. I've seen friends of mine, family, fans take up running, and I kind of wanna see. I definitely want to take it further than just this forty mile race. I, I, I think there'll be a lot more after it. Yeah. Well, it is cool. It's been fun watching your journey. Um, uh, it's it's always strange to say you're proud of other people, especially people you've never met. You don't need my pride in you, but <laughs> I'm I'm I feel so much pride when I see people go through these journeys and and do it the right way, you know, and make lifestyle changes and push themselves to this limit. How do you how do you like? Are you worried about this thing flipping a switch? As you just said, you have sort of like a I don't know if it's an obsessive. Um, uh, personality, but like, how, how do you, ha- have you put up barriers? Do you have, like, is it a network thing where you don't go the opposite direction again? Like what happens if you get injured and now all of a sudden, you know? Well, so I had to deal with that when I was in the boot for two months, uh, I was like, what am I going to do? And and what did I do? I started putting three hours a day in the gym yeah, and I a shit ton of pushups with the boot on and I started working my core more than I ever had getting on the floor doing abs. I, I got Goggins obsessed with st- stretching, started doing an hour or two of stretching a day. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was proof to myself that in the downtime, I was, I was able to actually better myself. So I, I figured if I'm hurt, let me come out of the injury in the best possible shape as, that I can. And the fact that I did that was a really cool proving. The thing that I don't worry about gaining all the weight back is... <laughs> I still eat pretty bad. I think that's mm. why I love ultra running. Not bad. I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I'm, I'm a vegan most of the time. Uh, I guess I'm not technically because I, I should just say vegetarian. But uh, I still like to, when I, when I run a half marathon, I still like to have a pack of Skittles after. I, mm. I, I, so to me, it's like I still, I've never really limited myself because I always yeah. found with Dr. Past, if I told myself like, you're getting rid of this forever, I always went back to it. So I was like, if I'm just doing this in limitations, I'm never, I don't feel like uh, too bad about it. Yeah. And I missed it so much in those two months 
that I was like, this is something that I, I felt the same way towards it when comedy was gone, kind of for like a six month chunk of the pandemic where I was like, this is, I, I miss it so much and what it kind of contributes to my life and, and my, even my joke writing. I do a lot of joke writing when I run. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had a similar journey with gluten. Um, mine was like exercise induced asthma. And then, as you said, I look at pictures of myself at the time. I've always, I've never been heavy per se, but that my face looked totally different. I was very puffy and yeah. I, I just, I kind of had a, an intuition on it one day and just decided I, I never feel good when I eat at my mom's house or my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> and that was the only place where we'd eat like French bread and things like this. And I, I cut it out and man, like within a week, no exercise induced asthma, like this, the inflammation started going down, the injuries stopped happening. Like I would have these weird shoulder pains and all this other stuff that just went away overnight when I quit gluten. So that's amazing. Yeah. I gave it up for a, two and a half years. And then the past, uh, you know, the past half year of the pandemic, unfortunately, I found myself going back to it occasionally, you mm. know, when you're in the slums of co doing comedy in New York, sometimes a 99 cent slice is what keeps you afloat. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but the weird thing is, I mean, now that I've eaten it from time to time, I get a rash on my elbow again, but my stomach handles it so much better. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of good for like, uh, actually all the supplements I take are well, honey stinger. I use honey stinger and that's not gluten free. Yeah, they've got some good. Um, and the, the I think it's honey stinger that makes the gluten free stroop waffles too. And yeah, yeah, they have the gluten free waffles. The yeah. pack I have is the regular one, but like I, I still try to eat as much gluten free as possible. Yeah. That's the one thing that I definitely will go back to. Uh, that and I, I really do enjoy kind of eating mostly vegan. I, I was a vegan for like the four months, what, the, the two months of the injury, because I, I watched Game Changers and saw that they said it could help with coming back from injuries. Yeah. And then uh, it's just, it's so tough to be a vegan. Yeah. My no, dad's a vegan though, and he's a strong motherfucker. So so he you, you had mentioned before we started recording here, your dad is in the middle of a, or he's training for, or he's about to do the challenge of 2000. Trying to break. Yeah, he's trying to break the world record for the most push-ups in an hour, which I think is 2,400 or around that. And uh, he's almost up to 2,000. He's been training every Sunday. He goes for it where he, my mom counts him. You know, that's the, been the beautiful thing about the weight loss is they've also lost. Not that they were heavy people, but they've yeah. put on weight through the year. They, they're both in crazy shape. We all are meditators. We're all working out together. We like uh, My weight loss has been more of like an unfolding process into so many different areas. And it's fun to see how other people around me have picked up and done some of the things. But yeah, my dad is crazy. He's a full vegan. He's going for the 2000. He's, he's almost at 2000. He just gets on the floor and bangs him out. He's 54 years old. Man. He's been a vegan for a year now or a year and a half. So how many does he, does he like, how often does he take a break? Does he do like sets of a hundred or what does he do? Or does he, can he just maintain it the whole way through? He, he's struggling with pacing. I think the last time he did it was Sunday in the first half hour, he got, I think 1450 and the second half. No, no. I think he got 1300 the first half hour and then was only able to get 600 the second. So like, I think if he figures out the pacing more, but in the beginning he worried so much about form, but if you look at the records online, the guys really just go quick and don't do form. So now he just goes rapid pace. Okay, I'm just doing math here. So, okay, so it's 43 push-ups per minute. <laughs> that's insane. I hate push-ups. They're the worst. Yeah, that's crazy. So if you, I wonder if you did like 45 seconds on, 15 seconds rest, and just try to do one a second. Yeah, 
Oh, man. It was an obsession I started with him. I didn't I didn't know what I was starting. Like I, <laughs> I was reading Living with the Seal with his uh which that's Jesse Itzler's book about when Goggins moved in with him. Okay. And Goggins had this push-up workout where you do uh thing it's like one to eighteen, one push up rest, two push ups rest, and like you go up to eighteen until you like you, you do one, then one, two, three, eighteen, then you go back down. So okay. we're doing these push up workouts and then he just decided to take it to the max because he has foot injuries. So I guess he he knew he couldn't run that much, but he's also doing a Spartan race soon. He's obsessed. He'll just be, I'll, I'll come home and he'll just be doing push-ups, watching old Spartan races. Damn. That is awesome. That is super yeah. cool. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to try that. I wonder how many push-ups I could do in, in 10 minutes. Just I'll, I'll extrapolate it out. Now, that's an interesting challenge. I haven't done that in a while. Okay. That's cool. All right. So you got your race in nine days, Pennsylvania, Runnable course, hills, not mountains. You are feeling pretty fit. You're feeling pretty healthy, feeling pretty good. Um, yeah. What is your biggest fear on the day? My biggest fear, honestly, is going to be nutrition because I've, I, I haven't been able. I really wanted to get in like uh, a marathon run before this, and I haven't been able to do it. And at this okay. point, I just don't think it's smart. Nine days out. Like I did, I've been doing like three, four mile runs today. I did, I did six miles today and paced that like eight twenty every good. mile, which was good. But uh, I, I am worried about nutrition. I use some BCA powder, but I, I might want to switch to Tailwind. Uh, I don't. It's one of those things where it's like it's ultra running. You just figure it out the day of what's going to work and what's not. <laughs> so like, that's what I'm most worried about because that is the most unpredictable part. How's my body going to react? I have thrown up while I'm running before. That's okay. not yeah. something I'm not used to. I'm thinking I'm going to go with honey stinger stuff. Maybe those energy jelly beans. I love those. I have no idea. Maybe some sandwiches with avocado. It's like, that's all in my head. What the hell I'm going to do there. Okay. And my other worry is that I fail and it's on camera. I mean, that's, that's another one. It's, it's one thing to fail, you know, but to fail on camera is going to be a different one. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. Like I've embraced failure to the max to, at this point in my life. So I'm, I'm far less worried and afraid of failure and more about like, you know, again, especially for you, this being your first one, there's going to be other races. So if you don't finish, it's not necessarily a failure. It's, it's sort of, you know, like what you do with the failure, what you do, you know, what was it? Was it a training issue? Was it, you know, I got stupid and bought a bunch of new stuff that I'd never done before was it you know whatever you know it could be a yeah. thousand things that derail your planes on that particular day uh plans on that particular day but it's all about putting it together for the next one and the next one and the next one so exactly i mean and i guess the the the, the underlying worry is the what is my foot going to hold up i mean it's felt great in all these runs but there's still issues with it it's i'd be lying if i said it's 100 percent healed I, I have an issue now where my whole life, I've been very, I stand at attention, you know, straight. My feet point straight. Mm. My right foot doesn't point straight anymore. And I, I stretch my ass off to try to get it back to straight, and I'm able to, but I have hip flexor problems. That's definitely where it's coming from is my hips. Uh, it's, I'm interested to see how the body holds up and how the injuries feel because some of these runs lately where I'm pushing like, you know, half marathon a little bit longer, I'm feeling pains, not bad ones, but yeah. ones that I'm like, I wonder how this is going to feel at mile 30. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Just like the, like uh, my favorite quote in ultra running is from Ann Trace and we're what she's credited for saying, you know, it doesn't always get worse. 
Well, well, Ed, Her- Ed Harrenon had very similar things about that, where he he went from he was doing a transcendence run, which is your style of race, which is just that twenty four hours around a track, and he got to a point. Is that where, the one in Queens? Uh, I think the one that he did was in England, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, because the longest was, foot yeah. race in a, in the world is in Queens. Yeah. And he got to a point where he was like laying down in his car. He just felt like he could not go on at all. Couldn't run another step. And then it was like, well, let me just run 10 feet. And that turned into, you know, like a minute later, he was running like a six minute mile. And he just, the faster he went, the better it felt. And he was like 75 miles in at this point and thinking that he just couldn't go on. So you're right. It doesn't always get worse. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about this this time is like you have people like him. You have, I mean, there's so many ultra runners to learn from. Uh, there's a great runner. She's not an ultra runner. Her name's Alexi Pappas. She's uh, a great podcast, the Rich Roll podcast. She was just on there. It's like one of my favorite things. But she, she talks about pain and, and running. And she goes, you know, pain is a sensation, not a threat. And looking at it like that for me is great because the pain and running really does come as a sensation. And then next thing you know, you're running pain-free again you're like holy shit it's gone it just came and went it, it's somewhere in my head that this is happening uh, that's a great way to look at it are you going to be tweeting from the course do you think i told mishka i would text him at 20 miles in and i don't <laughs> okay. even know if i'm going to commit to that all right they wanted me to wear a fucking gopro for the for the uh the the race the the documentary but i was I've never worn one before in my life. I'm not just going to break one out on the, on the run, which yeah. I, I explained to them. I was like, I need this. I need to be as comfortable as I can. Yeah, I, that, that's probably a good call. Maybe hold one for a few minutes at a time here. I, I did a run with a camera one time, and it was like my traps and my, the middle of my back got so tense from, I mean, just a little Sony camera. It was just amazing having something in my hand for a 25-mile run that I was not used to carrying. It was Yeah, it was it's miserable. something so small. It's like I usually wear my... Uh, my handheld bottle on my left wrist, my Nathan bottle on my left. I was telling you before we started recording that I have been having some ligament issues stemming from my own push-up workouts that I actually am seeing a doctor about Tuesday. It's, it's not so great. And I've had to switch the bottle to the right hands. Just that, that switch is enough to throw you off mentally for a little bit. You're like, is my Crazy stride different? I hold it different in the right hand. That's another thing that I'm worried about is do I need to get a, I have a water pack, but I don't wear it that often. I think I should just toss it on to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing all of my short and long stuff with the Solomon, the ADV 12, I think it is with the two uh, pouches up front just to get used to that. Even if I'm doing just like six or seven miles, just so that the day I show up for a 50, it's not like, oh man, what is this feeling? You know? Exactly. I did one trail run with, I got the Osprey one. I think I'll throw that on. I'll put water in that and then I'll probably put like some kind of sports drink in the handheld. Cool. Awesome. Well, man, best of luck again. We're going to follow up with you right after this. So win, lose or draw. Like, I don't care if you DNF or, you know, short of, uh, short of dying on course, which we, (laughs) you know, you're not going to do. I want to get you back on the podcast right away and uh, and talk I'm about good. the experience because this is yeah I'm I'm excited and the big the big question that I think we'll have to answer is I don't have any tattoos I told myself that every ultra I do I will get a tattoo after it because I've always wanted it my whole life and I and I, I everyone's like what are you gonna get and I'm like for this first one I'm gonna tell myself that going into this ultra the tattoo idea is gonna come to me on the run okay. 
I'm going to decide what it's going to be on the run. So I'll, hopefully I'll have the idea by the end of it. All right, hopefully, perfect. I'll, hopefully I'll have a reason to get a tattoo. By the Very end. good. Yeah, I, I think you will. I think you're going to smash this. I think you're going to do better than you think you will. I got a good I feeling. Hope so. I hope so. There was a part of me that looked at the times from the last year of people like who finish it. And I was like, first place banged out like a seven minute mile for the whole 40 miles. And I was like, well, at least I won't be that. So. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, once you get into the hills and the mountains and things like that, you know, I've done the Leadville heavy half, and one year I smashed it because I had zero expectations. I wanted to go under three hours, and I went two fifty, but felt amazing. It was like holy shit, this is the great. And then I went back the next year thinking I got this no problem, and I took one step off the top, and I started cramping, and I started <laughs> tripping, and like I crossed the finish line looking like Frankenstein. My whole body, head to toe, was just cramps, and oh, uh, it was a bad day. So you know, I, that a good amount of fear is a is a good thing in these long efforts. Like you got to go in respecting the course and respecting what you have to do for your body to get across the finish line. Oh yeah. I'm excited for the pain or the, or the non pain, whatever it is. I'm excited yeah. to feel it. I feel like, uh, uh, um, Amelia Boone says that uh, a race is kind of a celebration of all the practice that you've put in. And I am ready to celebrate all that. It's been a long way to get to that starting line with the injuries and the training and the weight loss. And yeah. I'm just, I, I am really ready to see what happens and kind of just embrace it. And it's to me, it feels like there's, I want to step away from the weight loss a little bit because I feel like it's become a thing that I, I talk about. So, but I feel like this is the important next step. Like this is to get to the other side and yeah, I'm just yeah. excited to get there. That's awesome. Well, it's been great following you to this point. You and I have kind of, we've missed each other on getting on the podcast a few times for various reasons, but I think the timing has worked out perfectly. I can't wait to talk to you in a couple of weeks after the race. You're going to crush it. And, uh, if you're listening to this podcast in about 30 seconds, we'll be talking to Dan again post-race. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, best of luck. I can't wait. Thanks for having me on, and uh, hopefully we come back with good news. Indeed. All right, man. Good luck. Bye. All right. See you, Dan. And we are back. What's up, Dan? How are you? Hey, how's it going? The second, <laughs> the second part of the show. Yeah, those are the magic of uh, the magic of time. We are now post race, um, and life gets in the way a little bit. Dan and I. It's been a couple of weeks actually. We were we were poised to get together right after the race. You had a little family scare. I think everything turned out okay. Um, yeah, we thought my grandfather had a stroke, and it turned out that my grandmother didn't realize she accidentally dropped one of her Ambien's in his morning pills. <laughs> so that, that morning, everyone was like, what the hell's wrong with him? And it turns out that we think that my grandma just dropped the Ambien in his morning pills. That's not a joke? Nope. Wow. Nope. <laughs> That's no a real way. thing. Oh, my she God. She doesn't like that that story is being shared, but that is what happened. You have to share it. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, It was like scary for the first part of the day. And then when we realized kind of what happened, we were like, oh, this is kind of funny. Oh, wow. She, did, she just, <clears throat> did she just feel terrible after that? or was she Yeah. Just, okay. So she feels so like she doesn't like people thinking she's done anything wrong. So she's like, don't ever share that story. We don't know if it was actually me. Yeah. God, you could have held that. You could have held that information very close and worked your way up the leaderboard. Uh, this is a different grandma. So I got, oh. I'm lucky to where I have, uh, I'm 26. I still have all four grandparents left. I got two grandparents who are very nice and loving and two that are, but also rank us. <laughs> okay. These are not the ranking ones. Got it. Well, good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that he's okay. And I'm glad that, uh, 
I think your grandma's going to take this all in stride and you've got a great story to tell. So, so congrats. Exactly. I tried, I was on the road this weekend in Virginia and I was working it for the first few times, just saying it out loud. Nice. I'm like, wonder if people find this funny and they did. So yeah, too bad for her. She gave me a bit. Yeah. Did I see you made your way up to uh, DC on your Instagram? Did you post a picture? Yeah. Yeah. We, so we did shows in Arlington, Virginia, Fairfax and Okaquan, I think was the name, which are all relatively close to DC. So on the Sunday, on the way back to Queens, we stopped in DC and spent the day there, which was fun. It's always fun walking around DC. The architecture is just so unreal. It is. And weirdly, I had no idea how popular of a running city it is. Huge. 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 I mean, big ass running stores, bigger than running stores than I've seen in New York and like out here, much bigger than what we have. And just everywhere you look on the street, there's people out there running. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like when you, one of my favorite places to run is like on the mall and all that stuff. It's, it's just such a great, great vibe. Yeah. And it seems like good runners too. Like, especially now, like as someone who has put in like a couple of years of running, it's easy to see when someone is moving past it, like a, a six or sub six pace. We're like, oh, that dude or that woman is hucking it right yeah. now. Like they are flying. Yeah. A lot of good looking, run, like actually like talented looking runners there. What was the, what was the military presence like? Was, is it still full on? Yeah. Like definitely, uh, it was, it's, they like, they're not always very open about it, especially at shows because a lot of times they'll, they'll trickle into the show. So like there's a few secret service agents who definitely always come to see me when I'm in the area. Uh, you get a lot of, uh, we definitely had some feds at the second show cause we were drinking with a group of people after. And I guess maybe we were saying some offensive things. <laughs> I don't know. You forget that people work in government and I'm such a, me and my girlfriend are such hippies and whatnot that you never know what you're going to say. And next thing you know, you see people stand up and leave the table and then their friends are like, oh, they're feds. You upset them. We were like, ah, oh, sorry. You know, you, they, they told us they were a lawyer and a paramedic. So that's on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people walking around saying they're feds. No, but yeah, you definitely get a lot down there. I mean, it's almost like, and if not, you get people in politics. A lot of like the crowd will be a lot of lobbyists, a lot of consultants, as they call themselves down there. So it's like DC is always a really fun state to perform. Uh, not even what is it? A sovereign union? I don't even know. District, Commonwealth yeah. Yeah. district. Yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting to perform in because you get usually a pretty progressive crowd, but also a very smart crowd. So like, mm. you feel like you got, they, they understand definitely some of the tougher material like that some dumber crowds wouldn't pick up on, like yeah. the Okaquan, Virginia crowd. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have it to have a, a good sense of humor being in politics these days. I mean, I don't know how, I, I know a lot of these politicians take themselves very seriously, but especially like the lobbyists and the, and the, the staffers, you've got to have a good thick skin and a great sense of humor to work in that town. I agree. And it's like, there, there's a way for the relationship to, to work on both sides. Like you got like a dude like Andrew Yang right now going around New York doing shows with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock hanging out at comedy clubs. He helped us get comedy clubs open again. It's wow. so like, this is a politician who's trying to run. I think he's trying to run for Cuomo spot in New York. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to run for mayor in New York. I think he's mayor. I, can't yeah, tell. Mayor. I think it's de Blasio. So de Blasio's position. So like you have a guy who's actually attacking it in a very interesting way where he's working with the entertainers. You don't see that too often. AOC used to do that in New York. She'd do shows around funding times with comics, but like you don't see it too often. And I think that's a good way to go because to, to do work with the people who are probably going to be most critical of you that's can only kind of help maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? 
I don't know. I want to talk about running though. I want to talk about yes. this race you just did. The big race. Yeah. I was unreal. I finished it. So that's obviously the big one. That is obviously I finished that's huge, the race. Oh, nine that's hours huge. flat, 41 miles, 5,000 feet elevation, about Damn. finish it in nine hours. So was a it was a slower pace than I would have liked. I, I stayed right around, I guess. I guess the final pace, if you were to look at my Strava, was probably 1330. But that's really not what it was. I definitely took my time in the aid stations. Okay. Where like there were some aid station stops at the end where I was definitely putting in like 10 minute hangouts just to like get myself all there again. Yeah. And I didn't start the way I would have liked to. The start was so nervous and anxiety filled and I wasn't in the right position. So like all those things mixed together just led with me not really thinking with my head to start and kind of jumping out with the front of the pack and staying with them for a bit. Interesting. Okay. So let's go back into race morning. So you, um, where the race was, was it Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania, the Blue Marsh Lake. It was called the Naked Bavarian. It's put on by a group called Uber Endurance Sports. They have quite a few different ultra marathons. They actually have one coming up May 8th called the Dirty German. That's a 50 miler in Philadelphia. Uh, there is a part of me that's still thinking about it. Registration's yeah. open, but I, I got hurt yesterday. Mm. So I'm dealing with a leg injury now. So it's going to it's gonna have me question doing it. Okay. But yeah, it's a great group. It's this one dude who puts it on. He couldn't have been nicer. I mean, the things that he did to go out of his way for me. I mean, when I, he, he's a German dude. So he makes these for the awards. They're German weather houses, these little weather houses. And that's the top three finishers in each age group get that. I obviously... You know, I'm 26. My age group is pretty much the age group that moves pretty quickly. So I wasn't top three. So he handed me a trophy and I didn't think much of it. I was like, ah, it's just a nice gesture, I guess. And then later that night, I looked at it and it said 40 miles, 5,000 feet of elevation and etched into it minus 170 pounds. So it was was a nice little gesture on his part because that means he went out and had that made, you know, before the race even happened. Wow, that's cool. Nice. All right. So race morning, you wake up. You're feeling good, you're feeling nervous, you're feeling... You I feeling? slept so much better than I thought. So the night okay. before the race, we, we go down to the hotel. Uh, we get there relatively late because my girlfriend had work. So we, get, we pick her up from work at the city, right? Drove down to Pennsylvania. It was already a pretty hectic week, I won't lie, because we had the documentary crew in from Los Angeles, yeah. uh, which was ended up, it was only one dude up until race day. Then we had a, a larger presence there. We had one more guy come in. But so for that week leading up to the race, I basically had a camera in my face 24-7 every day I was uh, every day leading up, which was interesting. Uh, it ended up, I think, being a huge benefit race day having the cameras there because it kind of motivated me to finish the race. Okay. But uh, so race day, we wake up. Uh, I sleep good, which was I felt good about. Uh, I woke up. The anxiety definitely hit. I did some of my quick stretching, ran the massage gun over the body. Got to the race. That was when, like, I kind of had the ang- anxious, uh, like, you know, pre race, had to go pee a ton. <laughs> so I pee, I come out, I realize there's like four minutes until the race starts. Uh, I have to pee again. So I hop back on the line. Then I realize it's two minutes for the race starts. So I'm like, I'm not going to have time. So I run back out. At that moment, the dude who's doing the race does like an announcement. He's like, hey, we have a comedian running with us today from New York. He's lost 180 pounds. His name's Dan Lamort. It's a great story. Raise your hand, Dan. And like he gives me a shout out. I raise my hand while he hits the gun to start the race. <laughs> I don't even realize I'm not even standing with the runners. 
I'm standing off to the side. I think we're running this way. We're really running the opposite direction. Oh, that's hilarious. So in that moment of confusion, because I'm anxious, I got to pee, all this just happened, I jump right in with the front pack. Oh, no. And and I stayed with the front of the pack for, yeah. I would say, three and a half miles going into the first aid station. We kept an eight-minute <clears throat> pace for three and a half miles on trails, which is yeah. not something I do. Uh, I wanted to keep it at an 1130 pace. I truthfully did not hit the 1130 pace until about 13 miles in. I stayed way too fast. Okay. Uh, my calves went at the eight mile mark because mm. of staying with the front of the group. But, but I gotta be honest by mile four after that first aid station, I definitely dropped back from them and I didn't see another one of them the rest of yeah. the day. Like I only saw one of the front of the pack guys cause he dropped out halfway through. Well, in, in retrospect, you've got to be kind of chuckling because it's it's a nine hour race for you. Like you're you're yeah. panicked at the start. The reality is, dude, you got time. Like go pee, exactly. Have a snack, whatever. Right? I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it was fun. I'm not gonna lie. Those first few miles were pretty unreal because I was like, damn, I'm I'm looking behind me and I'm realizing there's nobody behind <laughs> me. There's only me in the front of the pack, and I'm like, that's when you start to realize you're like, oh. I jumped out in this section of like guys who are just doing, they're getting ready for a hundred milers. These are low, these are like ultra guys who, you know, I think I ran in a 1330 pace. First place ran in like a right around the seven minute pace. So like, it's crazy. I definitely, once I stopped seeing these guys, I never saw them again. It was a rookie mistake, but I think it was an important one to make because you actually get to experience what happens to your body when you jump out at a pace that you're not planning. Yeah. Because I never dealt with calf pain. And within eight miles, I had that, you know, when it's like there's aliens in your calves and they're just doing that jiggling and the gurgling. Yeah. And I'd say by the 13 or 14 mile mark, because that means I was about six miles away from the halfway point. So, which is the starting line. And I started to have those thoughts where I was like, this is, this is a bit off more than I could chew. I was like, if I make it to the halfway point, point I'll just tell my family. I'm like, hey, listen, that was the best effort I had. I don't have anything left in the tank. I was like, I went out too quick. I think this was a bigger test than I was able to handle. And then, I don't know, about five miles after that, you kind of just, something changes where it's like, you know, I think it's uh, like they say about ultra running and Tracen says it doesn't always get worse. Mm, and yeah. it didn't. It sometimes yeah. it gets better. So I hit that 20 mile mark. I, uh, that's like the starting line. So I took some time to just hang out there. And I was like, you know you what, let's go back anything? out. Were you doing anything different between that sort of half marathon and 20 mile mark? Were you thinking about form? Were you slowing down? Were you controlling things? Or were you just, just kind of going just with the staying, Just trying to work with the pain cave, you know? Because at that point, I kind of had a pretty good idea it was going to be a mental battle there on out. Because uh, I definitely didn't do things the way I had been doing them. I didn't start the race stoned. I mean, I was, I've always been a stoned runner. I decided to go in pretty sober. I uh, didn't smoke that morning. Didn't smoke before the race. I went in without headphones. So I did all 40 miles without headphones. I think I tried to put headphones on at like the 20 mile mark and they didn't last very long because mm. uh, I was getting a lot more success out of where I was able to take my head to different places to kind of get out of the pain. But yeah, I think it was when I hit that halfway point and I decided to head back out because you run the same 20 mile loop twice for your 41, 40 okay. miles. Uh, <clears throat> so you once you hit that halfway point and then you set back out on the trail again, it was like all those thoughts I had about quitting just turned to like, well, every mile I do now is one mile closer to it being over. In the first 20, you don't have that. Yeah. In the last 20, every single step I took, I was like, that's a step that's closer to the finish. So let's yeah. just keep taking another one. 
And it became that one step thing. And I knew you could walk a mile in about 1630 about. So then I just started doing like at the last miles, I'd walk one mile, run two, okay, or, you know, walk half a mile, run half a mile. I just did anything I could to keep under the 16 minute pace by the end. Did it help you mentally to have gone through the first 20 miles so you knew what you were up against or did that work against you? I think so. But truthfully, that second half of the course, for some reason, I thought I was lost the whole second half because none of it looked familiar. I don't know if I was just <laughs> in a different headspace that second half because I was ended up, I was, I didn't, I was on the trail the entire time. I never got lost at huh. any point, but in my head, none of it looked familiar because I think that second half through, I was seeing things uh, with a lot more pain. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. Did you were did you get to hook up with any other athletes and were you were you talking to runners along the way? So there was one guy who was at the front of the pack that I was talking to at the beginning who kind of gave the advice. He's like, "Listen, man, he's like any time you put in today is your PR." He said, "There's no reason for you to be hanging in the front of the pack." He said, "If you want to, if this is the race you want to run, then run this race." But he was like, "No matter what you do, it's your PR for a 40 mile because you've never run this far. Yeah, that's a great So that was definitely helpful. But yeah, I found myself at points running with some people. Uh, I tried to talk to a few if they seemed like they wanted to talk. If not, I was pretty respectful. But it was weird. For the most part, I felt like I was, you know, pretty much alone for most of the mileage. Like I definitely got a few followers out of it, like some people that I added as friends on Facebook. Like there's there's three or four people I could recall running the race with. Okay. But for the most part, it was pretty solo. I mean, outside of like passing people, and you know, it's like that ultra community where everyone gives each other a compliment. Even right. if it's something simple, like keep going. Or you could notice the people who know how to dig a bit deeper. They'll be like, hey, nice beard or those shorts are great. Like they'll throw a little more personal <laughs> yeah. of a comment, which I found interesting. Like it was like guys on two boats passing each other when they each wave. That's like what ultra running is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, what was your, um, what was your in-race nutrition like? Like what was your, well, let's, let's so first off, let's talk yeah. about your setup and gear and all that stuff. So 40 mile race on course nutrition, obviously, did you do hydration pack? Yeah. So I don't know what was going into my head. All the only time, most of my training leading up to the race was a single handheld bottle. Mm. Uh, that wasn't the smartest thing because I realized in the 40 miles I was going to need a hydration pack. I had, I have a Solomon hydration pack, liter and a half of water. Uh, I've trained with it before, but for some reason in my weird foggy pre-race brain, I bought an extra handheld. I was like, I'm going to run with two handhelds, not realizing that that's not the most comfortable feeling. So then Luckily, the morning of the race, I told my dad, I was like, hey, you're driving down this morning, grab the hydration pack. Mm. So I ran with one Solomon hydration pack that stayed water the entire day. And then I had a, held, a handheld with me that I rotated between water as well and tailwind. So okay. like when I needed, I think about eight miles, probably about 10 miles in, I started. Uh, so I guess that was the third aid station, 12 miles. I started rotating in the tailwind. Okay. Food? And uh, food-wise... It was my first time. So it was uh, what I was able to. I love the Energizer, uh, the Jelly Belly caffeine beans. Those go down better for, than goose for me. Mm. So those were my caffeine source on top of the uh, Tailwind. I did apple slices, which stayed down really well. Rice cakes, which were good, but were tough making the mouth dry. Yeah. Uh, honey Stinger waffles were usually great for me on training runs. Race day, they were not good. 
I wasn't able to really get down more than half of a honey stinger waffle here and there. Just too dry uh, or the taste too wasn't, dry yeah. and just the taste wasn't there. My stomach definitely wasn't receiving it as well as it had in the past. Uh, so those energizer beans, I felt like really saved me and the tailwind really saved me. And, uh, what else was big? I had a grilled cheese at one point. I felt like I had it when I really needed it. There was a lot of miles where it was being offered and my stomach was not yeah. very receptive to it. Because another thing I forgot to mention about race day is we hadn't had a single hot day mm. in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey. We hadn't had hot weather yet. I was training up until that, I mean, that week I had gotten in one training run where it was still about 28 degrees out. Wow. The weather wasn't great. Come race day, Sun was never something I thought about. Race day, it was about 75 degrees and sunny. So I don't think any runner prepared yeah. for it because you had a lot of people throwing up. You had a lot of people. They went through more water at the aid stations than they said any year in the past year because no one was really anticipating the heat. I got burnt awfully, but I forcing the water, forcing the uh, tailwind, and I also did salt caps every hour, two salt caps every hour. Okay. I dry heaved at points of the race, definitely near the end. But for the most part, I mean, my stomach kind of stayed with me. There was points of the race where it sucked. I won't lie. I felt like I was going to throw up, but I didn't. The closest I got to throwing up was at the 20 mile mark. I tried to smoke a joint and <laughs> my stomach was not receptive in the slightest. Oh, I started right? dry heaving huh. and I had to put it, I gave it back to my girlfriend. I was like, thank you for trying, but this is not it. I really thought it would be good for the leg pain. Was it but, the dryness uh, it, of the smoke or what was the, what do you think it was? I think it was making me cough and my stomach was so queasy that the coughing was really just rattling it around too much. Like maybe an edible would have been a lot better, but uh, it was kind of just nice to be present for the whole room. in and out of the runner's high in the pain cave. And those are emotions kind of like unelse, unlike anything else. Yeah. It seems like that is such a, such a huge part of training is the mental side of ultra and to not, or to sort of forego the, lessons learned, you know, um, you know, by being high or, or just like not fully experiencing that. I'm sure a lot of people, um, you know, run high and, and they, yeah. that's just how they deal with it. But if, if I'm kind of, um, like, I like to go through all of the steps, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I will never forget going through that entire day, kind of all present as present as you could be. I mean, obviously you have your own tricks for taking your mind out of the race when you need to. Yeah. Like those last, I don't even know if it's the last, the last 10 miles for sure, but any time of the race where I felt myself like thinking about quitting, which after the original thoughts, there wasn't much of it. I just kept picturing in my head what it was going to feel like to cross the finish line. Because my parents were there, my girlfriend was there, you had the two cameramen. So in my head, I just kept thinking about what it was going to feel like to cross the finish line and hug my girlfriend. And like just the thought of finishing the race is kind of what kept me going more than anything else. What what did what did finishing mean to you? Like what what was the there's you obviously have the weight loss, you have the sort of you'd mentioned, I went back and listened to our previous conversation today, that ex-athlete in you, that ex, you know, former college, collegiate athlete, there's the competitive side. Just like, do you have you ever tapped into what finishing the, a race like this? Like why it's important to you? Uh, why the why it's important? I mean, I think it's it's the proving to yourself that you can do it. I mean, I, I heard someone describe ultra running. They were like, uh, every race that they run, they feel like a new part of them kind of grows. Like they they gain a piece of armor that wasn't there before. 
And I kind of felt that, like I felt personal growth in this race. I mean, I, I'm someone who has pretty decent anxiety issues uh, in personal life and work life. And I felt like my anxiety has been so much better since finishing the race because putting yourself through something you're unsure you could do, something of that magnitude, and then finishing it, it makes the anxieties of everyday life kind of a bit smaller. You're like, oh, if I could manage 41 miles, I can manage this anxious thought I'm having right now. Yeah. So the why for me, I mean, I think it, it is personal growth. I feel like uh, it hurt. Don't get me wrong. There was parts of it where I, in my head, was like, because there's a, my buddy Craig owns the running shop here. It's called Runner's High. He was a big division one runner. I mean, the guy still will go out and do a half marathon in a sub six pace. Like the dude's still a good runner. And I've been trying to convince him to tap into ultra because I'm like, you're putting up numbers where you could be competitive lead pack guy pretty quickly. And he was like, text me after the race and tell me if it's really (laughs) worth it, man. And there was like, in the beginning of the race, I was like, I'm going to text him and tell him never to do it. But then fast forward, I mean, hobbling into the hotel room that night. Yeah. After we went out to dinner or whatnot, I definitely looked at my girlfriend and said, just so you know, like this isn't the end of this. I'm already thinking about doing another race because I did have that feeling at the finish line where I was like, oh, this, there's, there's a lot more to dig here. Yeah. I mean, I was reduced to tears immediately. The second I saw that finish line, because it's a long run out of the trail, you get out of the trail and then you have about a half mile to the finish line. And those last four miles of the race are excruciating because the trail's close enough to the end where you hear the people finishing. Oh yeah. So like for like four miles, you just hear the people finishing, which is slightly motivational and also slightly like, Oh, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. Exactly. And then you get there and uh, it's funny because they say it's a 40 mile race, but it really comes out being a little over 41. So like you hit the 40 mile mark on your watch and you're like, ah, no, (laughs) like, you know where you are in the trail and you're like, I have at least a mile left. Yeah. And then that mile, like I finished strong. I, I definitely ran the entire way that half mile. I, I sprinted across the finish line. I mean, there were some people I was shocked to see just walking across the finish line. I was like, even if you're at wit's end, give a sprint for that yeah. last finish. I mean, yeah. and I just remember looking up at the board and just the finishing time and uh, just hugging my girlfriend and kind of crying immediately. But in like such a, a relieving and like a feel good kind of way, like it was this the way I've described it to people, you know, it felt like a race that had started four years ago, you know, mm. three years ago. This this wasn't a race that just started nine hours before. This was that first day where I convinced myself to put on running shoes in New Jersey and go for a jog. I mean, that to me, that's when it started. Those days where I told myself I couldn't go out for a run and ended up going out and just getting in a few miles. I mean, it's kind of just like that the culmination of uh, everything coming together. And I was worried because... In comedy, when I've had projects that I've looked forward to for an extended period of time, like an album recording or a tour, it happens and it's over and and you kind of get upset because it either didn't live up to expectations or uh, wasn't what you thought it was going to be. But when that race ended, like, it's funny, I told people what I thought I was going to expect, but you don't know what finishing an ultra is until you finish an ultra. I mean, it lived up to the hype and then some, in my opinion. For me that day, it, it was. I don't really think I could have expected what it was like. I mean, because you have imposter syndrome leading up to that. It's, yeah. You know, it's my first one. I've never done it, but I've done interviews about running. And I guess it, it, it was like the curing of the imposter syndrome. You cross that line, you're like, oh, I'm an, I'm an ultra oh. runner now. I, I ran an ultra marathon. That's interesting. 
So rank these four in order of first difficulty and then second reward. Okay. So you're, yep. a, you're a former pitcher, right? So, so talk about like game on the line, right? And you're on the mound, whatever, like whatever scenario you've been in there, full count bases loaded, you know, type of situation. Yeah. Your first time doing stand up. Your first time, as you say, you know, whatever, uh, 180 pounds ago, your first time putting on shoes and taking that first run or your first ultra. Difficulty wise, the experience, what was the hardest one? Well, I mean, the diff, uh, uh, stand up and ultra running have to be up, they have to be pretty much tied at the top for difficulty because I think to make the decision to do either is a, you're biting off a pretty big thing for yourself, but in stand up, you could just go out and do an open mic. I mean, you can't really just technically decide one day, Hey, I'm going to, you can, if you want, just run 40 miles, yeah. but I feel, uh, <clears throat> payoff. I think those are equal as well. Baseball. It's hard for me to rank there because for me, baseball is, there's something primal about competing against someone and like, yeah. say like uh, there's one, there's always one inning that I remember we were at a, at a facility called diamond nation, which means so there's like four fields and a box in the top where the scouts would stand. And I was brought in to close the game and I struck out the first, I struck out all three batters. The last batter, the catcher dropped the ball guy got on first and I struck out the next batter. So I struck out four guys in an inning and I just remember, like, you know, you have that that thing in, in a competitive spot like that where you throw that last strikeout and you just scream. Like a yeah. like a primal scream comes from inside of you. Like, ah! Yeah. And you get that with baseball. Ultra running, there was there was points of that as well. Uh, it's hard to think about the, the payoff in baseball. I've had so many th- thoughts back to baseball since running the race. But I haven't been in that pitcher mentality Since, I mean, I got hurt at at 18 years old, 19 years old. So it's been seven years since I've been on a mound. I don't really remember what it feels like. And I don't remember fully appreciating it back then. Well, and I suspect with baseball, you were ushered in. You probably started playing when you were, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And so it was just sort of this inertia. And it wasn't my choice. It wasn't my choice. There was many points in my life I wanted to quit baseball. I mean, my father always forced me to stay in it. I come from a baseball family. So it was always pushed on me, whereas ultra running was never pushed on me. This was something I'd get off for myself. Same with stand-up. That's interesting. I mean, and I think that's why I probably didn't appreciate baseball until many years later, because truthfully, a lot of my life was spent in a sport that I didn't want to be in. I felt my interest elsewhere, but uh, yeah, I would say stand-up and the, the ultra marathon to me, because of the coming off an injury a few weeks before, not really knowing if I was going to be able to do it that, that I guess a few months before that foot injury, uh, the different injuries I had along the way, the different races being canceled that two, I guess it was like a year and a half of training, uh, or just learning running, I would say. And just the, the circumstances of my parents being there, my girlfriend being there, the support that they offered at the aid stations. It's, I can't think of a better payoff than that. Just that next day driving from, Pennsylvania back to New Jersey with my girlfriend, just us two. That was the first time we had had just us two, no camera and just sitting us two in the car, reliving the race, each of the little moments. I mean, I, it's really hard for me to think 
of a better moment in my life than the ultra marathon. I mean, it, 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 the high lasted for so long, even still thinking about that day gives me goosebumps and stand up has given to me that at points. I mean, yeah. even to this day, if I have a good set, I'll still feel good until the next day. But the, the, the race had to be number one up there, especially because having the cameras on me, I was so worried about not finishing yeah. and, I'm not going to, there was points of the race where they found me on the trails and would come into the trail. And this was late in the race when I'd be walking, I was walking really long chunks. I won't lie. I, I walked full miles. And I remember one point, the cameraman getting behind me and I was walking and walking and he's behind me. And I just turned to him and I said, I can't fucking deal with you right now. And I just started to book it and ended up running like a nine minute mile, oh, that's at, funny. like 30 miles in. Cause I just knew he couldn't keep up with me. So I sprinted away from him. But it was peaceful to have them there because you don't know where the aid stations are going to be. But one cameraman was always about a quarter mile away from the entrance of the aid station because he'd like to get me coming into it. Yeah. So anytime I saw him, I'd get happier than seeing anyone because I knew he meant an aid station was that's coming funny. up. Wow, that's funny. So like in, a, in, in comedy, when you're bombing on stage... In the middle yeah, of I a, did it this weekend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like how, how long are your sets typically these days? Uh, this weekend in Virginia, I was, I was able to get sets that are backed over a half hour. I mean, if I'm headlining on the road, it's usually I'm doing 45 minutes. But okay. uh, with COVID, I mean, sets <clears throat> have gone down a little bit. In the city, you're doing 10 minutes on the road. You're doing 45 to an okay. hour. So 45 minutes, it's got to be freaking excruciating if you're bombing. I've played in bands before where you're on your third song of a 12-song set and like the crowd is just not having it. They're just not into it at all. Um, yeah, I had a heckler this weekend in Virginia and not even a good heckler, like one that you can mess with. Just a woman who deserved to be kicked out. No one kicked her out. She made the whole thing about herself, wouldn't stop talking. And it got to the point where I was like, I ran an ultra marathon three weeks ago and I would run three more in one day <laughs> instead of dealing with you. Like you are that much more difficult than an ultra marathon. Well, that kind of answers my question then. Cause I was, that's what I was going to ask is when you're 15 minutes into a 45 minute set and you can just tell like this night is not mine versus the 20 miles into a 40 mile race going, you know, there's not like an, an emotional component, just like that feeling of being on stage and you're just pouring sweat, not because it's hot, just because you are cooking from the inside. Like, I'm yeah. Bombing. So like when you break out the aim, when you start bombing, you're like, all right, I'll break out the A material and we'll see what happens. Then you break out the tried and true that, you know, has worked for thousands of people. Yeah. And then the tried and true starts to bomb. There's a, I guess there was a point where I'd really panic, but now you're kind of just like, well, all right, if we're, if I'm going, if I'm going down, I'm taking you guys with me. <laughs> and I'll try to have fun with it. But yeah, there's still nothing more weird feeling than a whole room not liking you. Yeah, that's got to be tough. That's got to be, I mean, that's got to help you in some way on the mental side of the race too, though. It's like, this is like running, the, it's physically difficult, obviously running 41 miles, but still like the mental side of doing stand-up comedy, like not everybody can do that, man. That is, that is a, that's a tough, tough gig. Yeah, I guess I guess it is, and I guess it makes your thin, it makes your thin uh, your skin thick for failure. Yeah, because you fail so many times. I mean, even to this day, I mean, you look in my email box from the past two weeks, you'll see probably five different projects in there that have rejection notices from people. Yeah, different club bookers saying no or networks saying no. I mean, I get rejected on a weekly basis. Yeah, so uh, failing so much. I mean, that's how you. I think you lead 
to success is you fail your way to success. 100%. So I kind of knew in my head, like if the race doesn't work out, you know, there'll always be another one. But on the flip side, man, I got to be honest, there was, there was a very small part of me up until the middle of the race that thought I wasn't going to finish. Leading, going up to it, I was like, I got this shit. Yeah. And then there was definitely some moments of panic at pretty early in, like I said, in that eight to 13 mile mark, very early into the race, I thought about quitting. Mm. Wow. And then four days later, I was out running again. That's that reignition we always talk about. It's it, it, like there hasn't been a race that I've ever, even a 5K where you're at some point, you're just like, this sucks. God dang it. Yeah. It hurts. And then you cross the finish line and you're like, yep, where's my next race? When's it going to be? Let's do it. Yeah. Every it's time. funny how when you cross the finish line and like later that night when you're like, I'm going to do this again, how your brain seems to push out the bad memories of the race. You're just like, oh yeah, this was great. I felt like I gained a part of myself. It was amazing. And then your brain doesn't mention like, hey, for five miles, you were in hell, man. Yeah. Like you were upset. You were angry. Yeah. You were feeling it. Yeah. Like I feel like the brain is so quick <clears throat> to push out the bad. And it's like, do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Can you, I mean, can you even fathom like all the the days, the times you sat on the couch like not doing anything versus this feeling now of accomplishment when you finish a long run, a great workout, even a shitty workout. Like, okay, I put in the time, I did this. Um, like, can you even fathom that it's the same person? And like, can you tap into what kept you there for so long? Or, or like, is it just- I can, I, I yeah. definitely could tap into that because I'm not fully not that person still. I mean, I still like lazy days. I. I still love laying in bed with my girlfriend on Sundays till one in the afternoon, binging a show. Uh, I like eating unhealthy still. Yeah. So I could see how I got stuck in these ways and I could see how I could get stuck in them again. Yeah. And it's about finding the balance of both, which I'm not there yet. I, I haven't found the balance with healthy living. I've yeah. found the balance with healthy activity. I know how to work out now and train now. Yeah. Uh, I know how to run now. And now I think I'm coming into that spot where I'm like, all right, you have the physical side down. Now you have to correct, you have to find the balance in eating because I haven't been able to do that yet because yeah. I went gluten-free for so many years and stuck with it. And then I started dating someone who wasn't a celiac and I found myself eating gluten again and mm -hmm. being like, oh, wow, my body doesn't hate me for eating this so I could do it more. And now I'm in a situation where my body is starting to hate me again for yeah. eating gluten and my stomach is turning on me. Yeah. So here I am again in the same cycle of bad decisions but I also can go out and run. So yeah. it's like, so now I'm uh, a new focus of mine is definitely the health side of it because I could see how that could help me on races. Yeah. I mean, if I really do go into it, and that week I ate really well. I, I felt like I hydrated the day before properly. I, I felt like I ate well with carbs that week. Uh, but there's definitely in hindsight 2020, you're like, I could have done more. Yeah. It's that, it's that risk re reward. I don't know that it's balance. I would, I don't, like, there's a discipline in the risk re reward. My wife is extremely disciplined when it comes to diet. And like she's, she has an egg allergy and some other allergies. And it's not like it, like she's not anaphylactic. It just makes her joints hurt. Yeah. And she just does not cheat. Like she just, because for her, she's like, I know, I know exactly how I feel. So I'm not going to do it. Where I, with the gluten intolerance and I get wheezy and coffee and all that kind of stuff. But man, if there's a good looking piece of pizza, you know, yep. it's like, I just, I'm, I'm with you. Like I have that hard time 
really staying. I've gotten better because candy, especially red candy, causes all sorts of inflammation and and like joint yeah. pain for me. And now that I'm training for this this uh, fifty, it's like, you know, I reach for the hot tamales and I'm like, ah, like that's gonna, <laughs> that's going to kill my training run for a couple of days. Don't do it. And so I've gotten better. I'm far from perfect. I think when I get a little bit older, I'll get better with it. But I'm in that like. I'm in that juvenile stage still of 26 where like I could kind of eat anything and not feel what it's doing to me. But like I eat so much candy and so much junk that it's got to be bad for me. I didn't eat any candy day of race, which probably the sugar would have helped. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like that. that's definitely the next step for me is just getting the health back in order. Because for so many years, I didn't eat gluten. I mean, for over two years, I didn't break a single time. Wow. And then... One day, my dad has a pizza oven and made a bunch of great-looking pizzas because he's a good pizza maker, and that was it. I ate it again, and my yeah. body did not revolt at all. And that's like you know, that's like when there's a button there that says "Don't push," and then yeah. you push it after two years, and nothing happens, and you're yeah. like, "I'm just going to keep pushing this button now." Yeah. And one day, it actually explodes. I look at I look at that kind of thing as like like you know, when you were walking around before with a glass full of celiac or gluten or whatever it is and now you've lowered that where you can probably tolerate a little bit here and there yeah i think that's exactly what it is like you could actually eat your way from an intolerant to being more like a celiac and then you could yeah. get it out of your body but they say it really takes like over a year to kind of get those gluten shit out of you so the fact that i've eaten it again it's kind of like oh i'm realizing now that this is more damage that i'm doing yeah uh but yeah, that's that's definitely something I'm going to work on because I know I would like to run more of these races. And I went out a few days ago and did a really, not even a long run, but a longer run for me because I was going to do this 50 miler May 8th. And I was like, well, let me get one distance run in just to make sure it's still there. Yeah. And I didn't even know how long I was going to do. I ended up doing 24 miles okay. on a road. And I my body hasn't been the same since that. That hurt my body more than the 40 miler. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I don't I know. If it, road. Yeah, and I I was an idiot and wore my trail shoes on the road, which are good shoes. The Hoka Speed Ghost they work mm -hmm. on the road, but after that many miles of pounding trail shoes on pavement, your feet kind of hurt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was I gonna? Oh, how's your dad's uh, push up journey coming? Oh, good. He just did. Uh, I forgot what his number was Sunday, but I think he's up to like twenty four hundred in an hour. That's crazy. Like there was this, there was this fifty-year-old or like sixty-year-old Marine vet who like did a whole big event in Florida. How he was going to break the push-up record in an hour, and I think he got like thirteen hundred. Jeez, like my dad crushing. is doing. Damn. My dad's regularly doing a thousand more than the dude who just tried to break the record. So like, and he's eating, he's doing everything right. I mean, okay. he's completely a clean. He's been a vegan for almost probably over a year now and a very clean vegan for the past few uh past few months and like so much so that he grows his own sprouts in the house he uh and he's doing a cleanse this week just all uh fruit and vegetables and he's trying to do all he can to really get his body because it's at the point where it's like that amount of push-ups who knows how you even train for that you just got to keep doing it it's crazy and figure and adjusting uh yeah, I kind of hate it because it, you know, takes away from me, but it is what it is. <laughs> there was that uh, documentary not too long ago this in the past year about veganism in the where the guys all ate clean and they went from like doing those ropes for like a minute. Once they went vegan, they could do it for like an hour. There's something about yeah, the lactic acid. Changers. 
Yeah, game changers. That's the one. Yeah. And I wonder, man, there's got to be, I've know a couple of people who have done that exact challenge and have had very similar results, like being able to just, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The three months I was completely vegan. I felt incredible. Mm. I don't know why I went back. I really don't. I mean, I guess just the taste of things, yeah, but I was gonna say, cause those steak and burgers are freaking delicious. Well, see, that's the thing. I went back to cheese. That's it. Pizza. Like I have, uh, since the day I went vegan, which was probably six months ago, I've been a vegetarian. I haven't eaten meat a single time. That's been easy for me to give up. Mm. It's been the cheese, which I did not think was going to be hard for me to give up. So I'm not a big cheese guy, but on pizza and in mozzarella sticks, it's game over. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. But I felt so much better running vegan. I felt better just living vegan. I felt better. I mean, just feeling like you have energy, too much energy in your body is not a feeling I'm used to. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've got to try. I do need to try for just like a month or two and just see what the what the hype is about and and if I could do it. I am a one. I do believe that like different different body types, blood types, all that kind of stuff. Like I think yes, it probably affects some people massively and some people not so much. Um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm in that not so much camp because I would hate to give up all that stuff and then feel amazing and like shit. Like, oh yeah. I think like, at the end of the day, it's like the vegans who really just do that clean plant living where it's yeah. all plants. I mean, those are the people who I really think walk around life feeling the best and looking the happiest. Yeah. I mean, the people who actually enjoy eating plants, I mean, those are the happiest people in the world because they feel the best and they're eating what they want. Yeah, that's crazy. I just couldn't bring myself to eat beans every night, brown rice and beans. My dad loves brown rice and beans. Yeah, I don't mind it, frankly. I, you know, there's like the Cuban in me, the black beans and rice and, you know, a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of, you know, plant-based stuff in, in the Cuban diet. And there's really, frankly, I mean, you know, lots of fish and, and things. So, I, you know. And the plant-based alternatives for meat are very tasty. It's, it's kind of concerning how good they are. Yeah, I can't go. But, uh, <laughs> I can't do oh, that. really? I don't mind it at yeah, all. Yeah, I can't But do it's it. not great for you either. So it's like you're just eating well, that's the more thing. shit. Yeah, that's, like that's it, my If I go clean, I really got to go clean. But there's enough vegan candy and ice cream and yeah. some of these vegan milks, which are actually way unhealthier than <clears> I'm like, Oatly is, is pretty god-awful for you. Mm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely the health is is the next thing for me that I'll eventually figure out. It's now it's all about balancing comedy coming back and running and realizing that I do want to stay an ultra runner and yeah. and what that's going to entail. And I think there's I've had a lot I had a lot of visions that have stemmed since running that ultra marathon and what moving to New York full time. I mean, I want to start a running club. It's something that I really want to do. I I would like to start a running club around the city. Uh, I'd like to incorporate running more into possibly something that I not even do for work, but especially with dispensaries coming to New York, if, if there is an actual way, all jokes aside, that I could somehow start a running group with a dispensary or even just make aware that there are positive shifts, there's, there's a whole positive side to cannabis and, and this out there that, that I think people could benefit from. There, The amount of, I've had probably, you know, over 20 people reach out to me who have never ran a day in their life and then they smoked a joint one for a run and, and now they're active runners. I mean, mm. people who message me regularly about running, who enjoy it, who have discovered trails and a new love for nature. So if I could really find a way to, to tie the comedy, the running and, and that all together and create a community of people who are trying to better themselves. I mean, I, that, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited because I just feel like I have this... this mm. Something's telling me that the run club is going to be a cool thing in New York. I mean, there's some great run clubs already in New York. You have 
the Black Roses, the Orchard Street Runners, which I would love to be a part of either of them when I move there. But I, I do see myself starting something up like that's that. Interesting. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Sorry about that. I'm back. All right. Face. Um, yeah, I've, I constantly, when I record my podcast with my girlfriend, which we have not released yet, we just in the, in the recording, like stockpiling episodes, I'm always worried about the audio. Cool. What's the, I don't uh, know anything about it. What's the subject matter? Uh, me and my girlfriend are just starting a podcast called till we break up. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> just something to do together. We, we talk to, uh, it's mostly about talking about, cause we're, we're both comics and that leads us to communication is our strong suit, but also it's it's easy to get into fights. So it's yeah. kind of just about fighting styles and relationships, whether it's dating or friendships or kind That's, of just try to talk to people about fighting. So do you guys, do you have a hard time? Because I know like comics will bust each other's balls to no end. Do you, is that a hard boundary in the relationship where you take it too far yes. sometimes? Yes. Luckily, she's a better sport than I am. Like okay. I said, I have anxiety issues. Uh, yeah, we definitely could roast each other too hard sometimes. That's gotten a bit better because we, we've we been dating for you know over about a year and a half now, so we've learned each other's sensibilities at this point. Okay, That's more of an issue when we go from hanging out with our comic friends and we have to go hang out with a couple of friends of ours that aren't comics. Got it. Like those first 20, 30 minutes hanging out with our non-comedy couple friends, they'll pretty much hate us. Or because we need to tone it down. Like how comics, especially New York City comics, <laughs> yeah, roast each other. It's a different language than any other. Like even when I'm in Virginia working with the local comics there, I find myself having to apologize to a few of them. Because the way New York comics treat each other is just, you know, like garbage, but in the most loving way. So like we'll literally have friends be like, hey, you guys need to not be comics right now. That's funny. Like, is it because like, of what you're saying to each other or or to the other couple or both? To the other couple, like okay. just roasting. Yeah. Like I feel like regular people aren't so used to roasting, which yeah. is always tough for me to understand because I come from a family that roasts the hell out of each other. Likewise, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then we'll also be like, not even mean to each other, but sometimes we could talk to each other in our own comic language that I guess yeah. annoys people. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Awesome. Well, so you got a you, you're you're looking at your um your next race coming up here, but you're on the fence with which one? Yeah. So uh, May eighth, there's this uh, fifty miler run by the same group that put on the forty miler I did, okay. and it's a pretty. It, it made sense to me because it's fifty miles, so it's ten miles longer, but there's almost no elevation. It's pretty mm. much a, a pretty flat sixteen and a half loop course in Philly, but still trails uh, or, or road. Trails, yeah, but no elevation. So I felt like that was a pretty good crossover. Uh, I had started running four days after the ultra, and things were looking good. I wasn't able to put in much distance, but I was putting in, you know, anywhere from four to eight and quick miles. I felt myself getting faster. Um, And then, like I said, last week I had this. I've been watching a lot of Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain's docu- yeah, uh, series from CNN. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was watching one of these episodes, and, and he, was, he brought one of his buddies back home to Spain. And the guy had said, you know, I need to come home because how can you appreciate the world when you don't really appreciate home? So then I was inspired to kind of just, because I don't have a great relationship with my town in New Jersey or the people here. So that next day, I kind of just, I put on the water pack and filled up the bottle and put some honey stingers and some you know, jelly energy beans in my bag. And I was like, let's see what happens. And I, there's this Henry Hudson trail in New Jersey, which is like pavement. 
And I stayed on that. It ends after like five and a half miles. And if you get on a road for two miles, you could pick it up again and take it. So I took that to the end and I got out of there. I was about like 12, 11 and a half miles in. I ran another mile and realized I was right at my high school, which was not planned. I mm. went to high school like four towns over. So I stopped in my high school. I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm 12 and a half miles from my car. That means I need to run 25 miles now. So then I turned around and ran home. Yeah. And uh, it, it treated my body way worse than mm. the ultra marathon did. Yeah. So I had just started to feel better. Uh, this was probably last Wednesday or Thursday, I want to say. Last Wednesday, I did this run. Thursday, I went to Virginia. I didn't run at all in Virginia, which sucked because they have some incredible trails. And I really, I, I was thinking about hopping on the AT for a section and getting some running in, but the legs just weren't there. Me and my girlfriend went for a hike uh, on, at Bull Run, which also has their own ultra. Uh, and the legs felt good. And then we were in DC yesterday and we were at the Lincoln Memorial. And like we were just dicking around and like jumping downstairs and stuff. And I like jumped down like the last five stairs. And when I, I've been having this deep pain like up in my groin area, but it feels somehow related to the hip even because it's just so deep. And the second I landed, that pain came back instantly. And I was like, God damn it, that doesn't feel good. And I actually went for a run today, the first run since the 24. And I, I was able to pull out three miles. I stayed at a sub eight pace, which is definitely fast for me, but that's where I've been at. And like eight mile runs, I could stay around seven minute miles now. But, uh, Something's just not right. Like behind my left kneecap is a little bit swollen. I guess that's my hamstring a bit. So I'm just having like uh, yeah. some like hand. It just feels a little swollen. But I was able to keep a pretty good pace. So we'll see what happens. I mean, if I feel like in a week from now, things feel like I could run 50 miles, maybe I'll do it. But the way I see it and what everyone's telling me is there's not going to be a shortage of races. Ultras are popping up left and right these days. Yeah. And the amount of trail runs that are out here, uh, why why end up actually getting hurt and tearing something? And if I could just have a little bit more longevity, yeah, I would agree with that. All the Leadville uh, run came came back like screaming back, like they sold out faster than they have. The they're doing a really good job. So I think I think ultra. Oh, I feel like the big back. ones. Like I feel like people who wanted to get into Western states, they're not getting into Western states for like four years now. I'd say at the the least, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the trails states, are up. Leadville, it's going to be tough. The trails are definitely filling up. But I learned, because I'm just learning ultra, that there's actually an eastern states. I had no idea there's a sister race to western states called eastern states in Pennsylvania, which is not only a qualifier, but it's like I, an article just came out, another one of these articles, like the 10 toughest races in the, in the world, and eastern states was on there. So the second I saw that, I was like, well, there's the goal. Got to do it. I mean, western states, the eventual goal, but eastern states is a 100-miler here. That's pretty tough terrain. Cool. Or the Vermont 100. I've, I've thought a lot about the Vermont 100. Uh, that'd be beautiful. But I think a 50-miler is next. The way I see it, a 50-miler, I could bang out within the next coming months. I think it's very possible. And then October, tentatively, I haven't signed up for it, is the New Jersey Devil 100 which is a completely flat, like pancake flat, 100-mile trail run. Mm. So that, to me, is very appealing right now for October. Cool. You know, running 40 with elevation, 100 flat, doesn't, doesn't seem like, you know, it seems like it was a good training run for it. There you go. There you go. Well, you want to answer some questions here? Let the people get to know you a little bit? 
do a little yeah. 10 question dash. All right, let's get some music going. Boom, boom. All righty. Uh, so I know you're a Hoka speed goat guy. You got a Solomon hydro pack. Uh, yeah. Any other gear you want to talk about you dig? I love Nathan handheld bottles more than anything. Right. I love the Nathan handheld. It's got the pouch for the phone and the keys. It's perfect. I just got a new one that has a bigger pouch too. So you get your phone and keys in there. Easy. Oh, nice. Okay. Very good. Uh, okay, so you've talked about your next races. What do you what do you, do you have a like a favorite sports book or movie go to? Favorite sports? I mean, I love Born to Run. I also yeah. really enjoyed Scott Derrick's book about running the Appalachian. Did you like that one? I haven't I haven't read that one. I liked it a lot. I've loved all. I mean, my buddy Mishka Shubali has a great book out there. I mean, there's a lot of great running books. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh what uh, favorite race that you've done? That was that your you had done first a, race ever. That was your first race ever. I was one ask, yeah. gonna ask if you had done some shorter distance stuff. No, so that was all new for me. So I guess that's the uh, favorite one ever. Nice. The okay, well, Naked Bavarian 40 mile. All right. So you've talked about Leadville, you've talked about Western States and M, uh, MTMB. What's your, uh, are those your three bucket list races or is there another one out there? I guess those would be the bucket list ones. I mean, I've also, uh, I guess for East Coast, because I'd like to get to know here, like we just discussed, I guess uh, Eastern States and the Vermont 100. Yeah. Are, uh, th those would be on there as well, because those just seem like beautiful races that are close by. Yeah, UTMB just, I mean, the beauty is one thing, but my God, that just looks like a hard race. Yeah, any video I've seen of it, it really, the people look like they are in hell by the end of it. Yeah, but just, I mean, just, just that European style of racing with those massive crowds and everything, it's just, God, man. Yeah. Like, if you're going to go on this, this, I'm I'm too old to even think about that kind of thing, but at your age, if you're going to go on this, uh, this ultra journey, it's got to be on your list. Yeah, I think that those, I mean, those are the big three, right, that everyone's talking, Leadville, Western States, and that, or I guess Badwater. It was bad, bad water, water hard even rock. to me at this 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 point of ultra running where I'm like I could do these hundred milers without actually knowing if I can or not. Bad water even seems way too crazy. Yeah, bad water is my bucket list race. I don't think I could ever. I don't think I would ever really want to do a hundred. Um, again, I'm just like at my age, the the risk versus reward is so yeah the risk of really just destroying my body. But um, I definitely want to pace at. Um, at uh, Badwater and just, you know, maybe even do 25, 30 miles or something like that. I just, I love Yeah, I've watched all the it. documentaries about it. Uh, yeah. it. It's up there. I, I also really, I love the documentary about the Hurt 100. I think that looks like a really incredible, tough race, yeah, especially so following in the Goggins' footsteps. I mean, running an ultra in Hawaii sounds pretty cool. So many good There's races. points in my head that think about Ultraman, you know. Uh, I've never, I'm an awful swimmer and I've, Love riding bikes. I've never really cycled, though, but there is a part of me that looks at a race like that, and I'm like, that looks like another thing that I never thought I could do. I'm a little, I'm attracted to that. I mean, you've got a good 20 years of racing in front of you, right? If you play your cards right, you know, and, and if you're into it for that long. Like, think of yeah. the races that didn't exist three years ago, much less. Like, you're, you know, they haven't even thought of half the cool races that are going to be coming out one day. Exactly. So who knows? I, I know that I would like to... Uh, do a lot of them. I know that's for sure. Yeah, I'd love to awesome. put together a fun resume of them. Cool. What's your uh, What's your home stretch song or band on your playlist? What gets you across that finish line? Nothing makes me move faster than there's two songs. Uh, 
Green Day, which I'm not even like a huge Green Day listener, there they have a live version of the song Holiday okay. in Dublin. Something about that, the pacing of it is unreal. Mm. Like you get some quick miles to it. And then there's a band called Houndmouth that has a live version of Runaround Sue. Mm. And that song, the pace, I mean, you could really, I get some of my quickest miles into those two songs. Like when I really need to start moving. And then Tessie by the Dropkick Murphys. I put those three back to back, and then we close out with Gonna Fly Now from the Rocky soundtrack. <laughs> those four songs I could really put in the fastest pace, too. I watched Rocky Four with my daughter yesterday. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, what's the most embarrassing song on that playlist? The most embarrassing song on the running playlist? Uh, I just remember a song from Flo Rida coming on and my girlfriend making fun of me ruthlessly for it. There you go. Yep, I'll give you that one. What's your, uh, you have a pre-race ritual or superstition? Didn't sound like it. No, it was panic. panic. Anxiety. That's my <laughs> just, panic. Just <laughs> panic and piss a lot. Yep. I have to pee like crazy before I run. Even when I'm at home and I know I have a long run ahead of me, I have to pee like crazy. That's funny. Yeah. I never got, very I, weird. I never, uh, I never really get nervous before races, uh, they give me that feeling, wrestling, man, every time. Like you would, that countdown, you'd know you were up next, and I would have to pee so bad. And I would either <laughs> throw up or I would have to go pee. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run with? Living or dead, who would I like to most share a long run with? Uh, I really, I don't know how I could not say. David Goggins or Courtney DeWalter. There you go. Or Des Linden. I mean, those are not that I could keep up with any three of those people, yeah. but it'd be fun to hang with them for like one mile. Des is amazing. Yeah. Yep. Especially what she just did. I was blown away. I was following that. I woke up at 8:30 that day when they, which I was wrong because it was not 8:30 my time. <laughs> so I had my phone ready. I was following because me and Josh Cox follow each other. I don't okay. know him that well, but I've noticed that we follow each other on Twitter and we like to give each other suits. So I was following him like crazy. Because that pace was unreal. Yeah, unreal. Unreal. She's an amazing, amazing, amazing runner. And the dude who paced her, he was also running a great race. Then he pulled away at the end because obviously it was Dez's day, so he had to let her finish. But he technically would have finished that even before her. And he's got his he's going for a 50, he's going for the the championship team in a few weeks. So he used that as a training run. If that's any indication, he's gonna make that team, I'd say. It's awesome. Awesome. He's 26, too. All right, man. Daniel, what is the secret? Final question. The secret. Uh, you know, just don't give up, I guess. Yeah. Get fat. Maybe that's the secret. Get fat and then get skinny and learn. That's it. No. That's the best. The secret is we're all on our own damn journey, and you got to do what you got to do to get shit done. So whatever gets you there, do it, and who cares what people say? There you go. Boom. Love it. Well said. Well said. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with? Certainly follow uh, Dan on Twitter. It's uh, it's a great follow. <laughs> it's it's an interesting one. I it's not. I lose I think ten followers a day on Twitter, and I don't know why. I only get skinnier and run further. But who knows? <laughs> well, what to tell people? I don't know. Just there's a lot of fun in nature, and I hope more people go out and move around through it because it's. Uh, it could really change your life. Not even the running aspect, just feeling more connected to the world is, I think, very important. Yeah, it's well said. 
Well said. Well, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate you uh, sitting down with me twice now. I know we've uh, missed each other a couple of times, but it's been real yeah. fun. And chatting thankfully, with you. the second half of this interview had no rain and hail falling on my car. I'm no in the, rain, I'm, in no the hail. I'm indoors. We moved up for this one. Well, and you didn't have to sit here for an hour and and whatever, like making excuses for why you didn't finish. You didn't even have to think <laughs> of any. I know Nail that's it. the best thing. Yeah, it's awesome. No one could take away a finish. That's it. That's well said. I like that one. No one can take away finish. Perfect. All right, man. Well, I will let you get some rest. You've had a long weekend. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, thanks for having me. This was a great following time. your journey. Thanks, buddy. Yes. All right, Dan. I'll be back on the next race. Okay, man. <laughs> See ya. That is the show, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our state admission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Dan Lamorte, or I don't know, he pronounced it Dan Lamort, maybe. I might have heard him incorrectly, but uh, it might be Dan Lamort. I'm kind of embarrassed now. He never corrected me, so I'm, I'm hoping I got it right uh, for pulling double duty on the show. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram, so look for the post for episode 40 with a picture of Dan. If you have comments or questions, we are at Athlinks and at Troy Bousseau, or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. The best way to support the podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it far and wide with anyone you think would enjoy it. And please take a second to give us a rating and a quick review on iTunes. And until next time, happy racing, everybody.